How do we create corporate worship times that propel our people into deeper personal worship? Glenn Packham is our guest this week talking about deep, mysterious, intimate worship. It's all in episode 65 of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host, podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, Andrew Hess. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode 65 of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Andrew Hess, your host, and this week we're talking with Glenn Packiam. Glenn is the lead pastor of New Life Downtown here in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and is the author of several books, including Discover the Mystery of Faith. He's also a singer-songwriter. He's performed with the Desperation Band and has written several songs uh, that have been released and are available on iTunes. He's also very academic. He's working on a doctoral degree in theology and is very thoughtful on the idea of worship and how we should plan deep, meaningful times of worship. And now, here's our conversation with Glenn Packiam. Well, Glenn, it is such a privilege to have you as our guest on the Churchlers Podcast. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Andrew. Thank you. You've had such an interesting journey. I've been following kind of you as you've grown as a, as a worship leader and, yeah. and now as a pastor. Tell our audience, for those who are listening, kind of how God has used uh, you in worship in a lot of different ways. Well, I started out 16 years ago in local church ministry as a worship leader, technically as a worship intern, and uh, about a year into that, they turned it into a, a full-time position at the church, and so I would help out on Sunday mornings. I wasn't the primary worship leader at the church, but I would help out on Sunday mornings, and then I would lead worship for the college ministry on Friday nights, and then a couple years into that, we started a school of worship to try to prepare worship leaders for local churches and so I've always loved kind of, you know, the, the training aspect of it and leadership development of it and worship ministry. But uh, about six years into that, you know, so 10 years ago now, our church went through kind of a major transition. And uh, it really was an occasion that the Lord used to help me um, look again at what it means to be a pastor, what it means for us to be a local church, uh, why we gather on Sundays, what we're trying to accomplish by doing that, what the Lord wants to accomplish. And so in those years, in the kind of the years that followed that transition, uh, I began to explore a lot about the historical practices of the church. Now, my undergrad degree had been in, you know, uh, theological, historical studies. And so I'd always had this affinity for, uh, or this tendency rather, to kind of look backwards to get a sense for where understanding our day and our age but I'd always set it aside as like, well, that was then and this is now and we got to, you know, reimagine what we need to do today. And, but in these years, in 07, 08, I began to think more deeply about uh, what we've maybe left behind that we shouldn't have, you know, what we've lost along the way and kind of this treasury of, of the church's prayers and practices and, and worship. And, and um, one of the, the main uh, points of reflection for me was beginning to see corporate worship as not just as something we do as an upward kind of expression, but as something that forms us. So not just mm. expression, but as formation, as, as formative, even beyond the cognitive. And so that set me on a journey of, of looking more closely at all of our practices to say, how is this forming us? How is this uh, shaping us? And so a along the way, I mean, there's a bit of a long story here, but along the way, um, I, I became an Anglican priest, which sounds funny to say along the way. There's obviously a great story there. Um, but two years ago, I became ordained uh, as an Anglican priest with the ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America, while remaining as a pastor in our local church, our non-denominational church. 
So in 2009, I made the switch from primarily leading worship to primarily um, being a teaching uh, lead pastor of a congregation. We had a Sunday night service. Then in 2012, that became a downtown congregation where I preach every week. And then in 2014, uh, became ordained as a priest. There's the nutshell version. Wow, that's good. And I think that a lot of people that are listening, they see worship as something that they have different struggles with it. Uh, you know, a lot of pastors might think, well, the worship is something that I, you know, that's why I got a worship pastor right. and, and, or a worship leader, and he kind of handles that. I know that your heart is really to to kind of bring that back under the, the senior leadership of yeah. the church. Talk about kind of how, how a leader, a senior leader should think about the worship yeah. that they're... Well, it's very interesting sitting in, in this chair as opposed to the years that I spent sitting in the seat as, as the worship leader, you know, kind of playing that role. I'm thankful for always having having had good relationships with you know the person who was the the more of the teaching pastor or even the lead pastor, mm-hmm. uh, but now kind of being in that role, I understand like it, it's unfair to really put all of this weight on the worship leader and to say, well, okay, well, write better songs or pick better songs. Well, mm-hmm. that's part of uh, the idea, but really, this is a bigger story than that. And for every pastor out there, we are we have sort of been entrusted with curating a service, with putting together a service uh, that invites people into this story, the story of the gospel, the story of Christ. And so rather than thinking of it as an event that we have to pull off and, hey, I've got the 30-minute talking part of the event and you got the singing part of the event and let's just make sure the transitions are smooth, you know, there's a deeper reflection that we can do to enrich our conversation about Sundays and about our week, weekly gatherings. Mm-hmm. And so how does your team, like talk us through like from conception to mm-hmm. to, to a service. Yeah. How, what are some of the things that you guys are thinking through, um, chewing on? Well, I think a lot of the heavy lifting is kind of done up front in the sense that we generally know what every service is going to have. Okay, mm-hmm. so at New Life, every service is going to have some worship in song, you know, some singing. Uh, every service is going to have preaching, the Word, uh, and every service is going to end with coming to the table, uh, communion. And so around those three things, we kind of we give the service its shape. And I always encourage people to ask the question, first of all, what gets the center? So what gets the center in our services? Um, is it primarily the sermon, or is there something even even deeper than that? And so for us, obviously, every Christian, every church leader would say, well, we, we want Jesus to be the center, you know? Great. Now, use that uh, goal as a way to reflect on everything you're doing. So visually, is Jesus the center? How, how might we do things visually that display? So for us, we meet in an in a old high school downtown. You know, it's not a fancy building or anything like that, but we, we put a wooden cross in the middle of the stage and a communion table in front of that cross, and then the band sort of V's around it. Uh, and then I end up preaching from the floor just to be closer to the people. But visually, that that tends to say something about the center. What about the center in terms of the, the thrust of the sermon? Does the sermon kind of point back to Jesus? So we have kind of big picture questions that we're asking about the service uh, uh, each week. Um, and then the, the, maybe the second kind of big question with the service is, what is the story? So what's the story here? Mm. And in a meta-narrative sense, the story is always the gospel. Mm. You know, and then in a micro-narrative, it's, okay, well, this week, how is the gospel being told? Okay, So maybe during a, a, a season of the church year where we're, um, we're thinking about repentance, maybe like Lent or something like that, you know, 
we would order the service in such a way as to put lament or confession of sin kind of up front um, and as a prominent thing, but then the grace of God. And there's there's many ways to tell this story, right? I mean, you, some churches, they start with confession up top, then they go into worship, and then they go into the Word, and then the table. Um, for us, most weeks, we start with worship, kind of a gathering, a call to worship, a worship that, that goes vertical with God. Uh, and, and then scripture readings and the sermon followed by confession, followed, because the response to kind of hearing the word of God is a lot like on the first Pentecost where they said they were cut to the heart. You know, what must we do? Uh, so confession uh, and then and then that's followed by the table. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges I see is you look into the worship spectrum and there's all different kinds of styles. Yeah. There's different things like the different uh, people have different backgrounds that they grew up with. If somebody came to you and said, well, this is my preference, like I, I like hymns or I, I like contemporary music or, or I like this style, how do you lead them to kind of change that question? Yes. Yeah, I, I think very often, you know, we have these worship wars that some version of this has been going on for who knows how long, centuries, right? And, and I think people are tempted to sort of say, oh, no, here we go. The, the new version of the worship wars is... Hillsong or Anglican liturgy or something like that. You know, are we going liturgical or are we going, you know, modern? And and I really, I really, really uh, would love to reframe that conversation because it's not about style. In fact, let's just get this out of the way. I, th- I think styles are largely preference issues and they're largely contextual issues. You know, who the people are that the Lord has called you to pastor. you got to pay attention to that. I think you can make a case that musical style uh, is very much like a cultural language so if the people that you're trying to reach, their language, you know, relates to something more uh, soft and quiet or classical, then then go there. You know, if the people that you're pastoring, their cultural language is a little more like what they'd hear on the radio, then, then you can go there. So I think generally styles are, are much more fluid. There's freedom to contextualize. But the conversation I'm really interested in is uh, how is our worship as a whole, the service as a whole, how is it forming us? And whether you do contemporary songs or old hymns, that's still the question we've got to wrestle with, is how is this forming us? How is this shaping us? I spent a lot of years thinking that worship was primarily expressive, you know, uh, and this upward thing. And then be all of a sudden beginning to realize, wait a minute, even from a sociological standpoint, the, the quote-unquote rituals that we do together as a people, they form our identity. I mean, this is like you know, sort of basic anthropology, any kind of rituals that you do together as a tribe, you know, it forms your identity. And so with us as a church, I mean, how much more? And so just to think deeply about that, to say, okay, wait a minute, if every week we're coming and and facing uh, a stage, there's a tendency, there's a chance we might be being formed into an audience, you know, a consumer audience. So then you say, okay, all right, so what do we do? Do we get rid of the stage? No, maybe not. Maybe you just find ways to subvert that and say, all right, how can we build in participatory moments? How can we help people uh, maybe form prayer circles, pray for one another? Maybe um, maybe they can sing to one another. There's all kinds of things you can do uh, to change that. Mm-hmm. And let's unpack that idea of of being formed by our worship. If, if a worshiper comes to church on, on Sunday, what are the things as leadership that you're like, man, here are the formative things we want to have have happen in in souls yeah i mean i think there's so much but the first thing that that is important to note is that formation is much more than the cognitive you know so maybe in the church world we're kind of guilty of treating people 
um, like they're just brains on a stick, you know? And so, hey, hey, as long as the message content is right, or as long as the lyrics of the song are good. And listen, that's important, but we're much more than, than, than cognitive beings. We're emotional beings. We're, we have bodies, so the things that we do together. Um, I think moments where you can invite people to kneel really is really powerful. Moments that you invite people to raise their hands is really powerful. Moments that you invite people to come forward. So one of the things when we do communion every week, that's a practice that kind of forms us, right? And we say each week when, you, when they come forward is come with your hands open. Uh, because you're never taking communion. You're always receiving communion, you know? And it's just such a picture. It's such a reminder of how God's grace works that with God, we don't have to be takers. That was the sin in the Garden of Eden was taking the fruit, grasping the thing that you thought you had to have and, and, and not trusting God to give, not trusting God to provide. And so even something like that, it works beyond the cognitive. It's actually a practice that you've explained the meaning you know, so in some ways, it's not enough. I, I should say, uh, maybe you know, church leaders who are on the other side of it, they have really great traditional practices or whatever, but they don't explain it. And so, there, I think you need both pieces of this. You you do need the cognitive, you do need the embodied, you need the emotive, our emotions. It's great to get our emotions involved, and the more holistic we can be with our practices, the better it's going to form us. And talk about the idea of mystery. How in worship. How do we embrace the mysterious? Yeah, that is a great question. I'm glad you said that because in many different, you find this in modern worship and in, and in ancient worship as well, there is a sense in which we are, we are led beyond the limits of uh, human reason, you know, and that that's, that's good. That means we're coming into the transcendent. So, uh, it could be in a in a time of singing, you know, when you're singing and you say, well, I don't know what's going on, but I sense something here. God is here as I'm saying. I start, you know, people will say, I start crying or I started, you know, and they don't know why. Well, there's a mystery to that. And it's great to make room for that. The, another example of it is, is, you know, even communion. There's all these theological debates, right? What exactly is going on when we take the bread and the cup? And to be honest, the Eastern Church had it best when they said, you know, centuries ago, uh, calling it a mysterium, you know, there's something going on here beyond us. Somehow God is meeting us here. And, and you know, Calvin says, yes, you, we need faith. and Yes, we need the participation of the believers, not automatic. But man, there's more going on than we can put our finger on. Are there certain boundaries that your team has set up? I, I know there's a desire to use our creative gifts, but yeah. how do we balance the desire to be creative with the danger of possibly going too far in our creativity? Again, I, I think those two questions of what gets the center and what is the story. If Jesus is the center and the gospel is the story, then we can trust the Holy Spirit to inspire our creativity. So again, I really think the the first day of pentecost is kind of a it's kind of it kind of can kind of shape our imagination about this so just as the spirit helped the gospel to be heard in people's own languages on that first day of pentecost i think in a very similar way as church leaders we got to be prayerful with our teams discerning to say okay holy spirit help us to creatively tell the story of the gospel and not just in a sermon i mean in the whole journey of the service right from downbeat to God bless you at the very end, you know. How does the whole thing tell this narrative in a way that, that people can really resonate with it? So one of the other things I'd say about creativity is sometimes 
our only, the only time we call in theology is to say, hey, are we okay? Is this, is this wrong? Is this heresy? You know, basically the question we're asking is, what's wrong? Is there anything wrong with this? And I'd like to raise the level of our reflection as church leaders and to say, no, let's ask the question, what's good? What's rich? What's amazing about the way that the church has um, preached and prayed and proclaimed the gospel? And how can we reclaim some of that? So for us, that has meant uh, working in some of the old prayers uh, of the church in particular seasons. Uh, It's meant bringing in the Nicene Creed into the worship service I want theology and, and the church's historical practices to not be the back fence that just keep, keep us in bounds, just keep us from error, and rather be like the front door, you know, help us step into new rooms and, of the house and be like, oh my gosh, I never knew. Look at these words, look at these prayers, look at these practices. Glenn, I know you've written many popular worship songs yourself. What have you learned about worship as a songwriter? I think as a songwriter, I always tried uh, and still try uh, to ground a song in a particular text of Scripture, you know, at least at least a few, because it is a wonderful container for the truth of Scripture. But beyond that, you know, Cranmer, the English reformer, basically said something like this. He said, you know, whatever the Scripture is joined to, the Spirit is invited to. You know, so you, you join the words of Scripture to music— that all of a sudden makes it an even more powerful way for people to meet um, the presence of God in worship. But I also realize as a songwriter, it's unfair to put all the burden on on the music guys, you know, because the song can't carry it all. And even, even four songs, four good songs, you know. And this is why I think this is about church leaders, all of us together saying, wait a minute, from the way the lobby is to the way that the church is, this isn't just about creating a welcoming environment that feels good and the transitions are tight, you know. This is about inviting people into a space that communicates mystery and a service that tells us the story uh, and that leads us into this, this deep place. So one, one specific thing for songwriters is there are a lot of unexplored themes uh, in modern worship writing. The Trinity is an underexplored theme in modern worship writing. Lament is an underexplored theme in modern worship writing. A confession of sin is an underexplored theme. Hope, you know, the last line of the creed says, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. There are few songs that explore the future hope. So those are a couple examples. Yeah, and I think a lot of times we focus on our communal worship, our time together. Talk about how you teach your people to have those private moments of worship with God. I think a lot of times we think about private devotions and we think oh i read my bible and i pray but really how do we how do we train yeah. our people to become worshipers worshipers yeah no that's exactly right and and i think the two things corporate worship and individual worship really ought to have this symbiotic relationship where they each feed and nourish each other you know uh, the the better and the more rich our corporate worship times are it should just help a person it should almost propel them into their own personal devotional times and, and actually give us a framework for what to do in our devotional times. That Think about you know, the old prayer book that the, the, you know, the Anglicans use. That was a corporate tool to pray this prayer book that eventually became a devotional tool as well, where you could pray these same prayers at home, pray these same psalms at home. Um, so I, I, I think the two things are very much connected. My, my fear 
is that some of the songs are emerging out of only devotional times. And so there's a lot of very intimate personal language, which is so good, um, but can sometimes forget the communal language. So again, we got to make sure the two things are enriching each other. And I think it is important for people to know that they, they do have a personal relationship with God, that Christian, the Christian life is deeply personal, but never private. And so it, on your own, explore the depth of this personal intimacy uh, with the Lord, but you have to gather with the church uh, because we, we stand together as the people of God. Mm-hmm. For the pastor who this conversation has awoken something in their heart, like, man, I want to learn more about this. I know you're well-read, you're an academic, you're working on your PhD, I believe. Mm -hmm. Are there books that you would say, man, this is the book that every pastor should read on worship? Well, I think James K.A. Smith's book, Desiring the Kingdom, is certainly an important one. He makes the case pretty convincingly about thinking about, he calls them cultural liturgies. So he sort of makes this case that, just by being part of, of life in society, there are rhythms, you know, like Starbucks starting to serve pumpkin spice lattes. It's like, oh, we're, we're, that's the liturgy of the fall, you know, uh, it's begun. It's, and so th- these, are, these are fairly innocuous things. And yet to recognize that people just by living in the world are being formed as consumers, as spectators, uh, as individualists. And so as the church, we have to create counterformational practices that can say, okay, yes, you matter as an individual, but you're part of this bigger story, uh, and on and on. So his, I think his book is very helpful. I wrote a thin little primer called Discover the Mystery of Faith. From time to time, it's a free ebook on Amazon, so people can take advantage of that. Um, but it, it just kind of walks through a few of these, basically things from the treasury of the church, if you will, you know, from confession to the creed to communion, why we do these things, how they can be understood in an evangelical context, and how they can be, uh, how we can learn from it uh, w- without radically changing the quote unquote style of our service. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that a lot of pastors feel is we kind of do things our way mm-hmm. and everybody else does it their way. And, and worship and style and all these things we're talking about can become such a divisive thing in the church. I know your heart is to see the church unite. Yes. How do you think pastors can work towards being united, even if yeah. we do things a little differently at our churches? Right. I, I, I love the picture of the wagon wheel where, you know, the center of the wagon wheel, and you think about the spokes that kind of V out from the center. If you were to add a trajectory on those spokes, you know, going outward, the farther away you get from the center, the farther apart the spokes get from one another. The closer you get toward the center, the closer you get toward one another. The center for us is not an idea or a practice even. It's not a liturgy. The center for us as Christians is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the triune God. And the closer we can move toward that and saying, yes, let's invite people into the very life of the Godhead. Uh, you know what we're going to do? What will happen as, as a result is we'll look up and kind of say, oh, look, and there's my sister, and there's my brother, and there's this, you know, and all of a sudden, here we all are together with different sounds, with different languages, different tribes, different tongues, all moving toward the worship of the triune God. Well, that is so good. Glenn, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Such good thoughts. I think it's so helpful to our audience, and we'll link to a place where our audience can find your resources. I know you have a website, and uh, thanks, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Andrew. 
Thanks again to Glenn Packiam for joining us this week as our special guest on the Church Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and consider sending this episode to somebody you know that might benefit by listening to it. Also, you can always download the show notes for this episode and every episode at churchleaders.com forward slash podcast. In the show notes, we always include resources mentioned in the show and links to some of our guest top content on churchleaders.com and also around the web. As always, if you have ideas for guests we could talk to on the show or ideas for how we could improve the podcast, please email us at podcast at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.